I didn't know you could learn. So I went the next day and right away I just committed to taking classes three times a week, very consistently for the next six years. When I performed at Cirque de la Mer in San Diego, we were actually out over the bay. This ball would be lowered all the way down to the water from a crane and there would be a hand loop and a foot loop and we would get in and we'd start spinning in the water and then we'd be lifted 40 feet up and then we would pull a little release valve, the silk would tumble out. I love sharing what I do by performing. It's cool just to see what the human body can do, what we can accomplish. People also get used to men in circus do all the strong stuff, the typical strong man moves. And women, they're flexible or they just do the pretty stuff. And that's great too, but I really like to be an example of someone who can be very strong and very feminine. That was Sarah Romanowski. I'm Andrew Connect, and this is the Unpretentious Podcast. Sarah performs as an aerialist. She dances on air and teaches others how to as well. This has taken her from Ecuador to Europe, from China to the Kids' Choice Awards, and she's been on the Super Bowl and in China. Let's see where she is now. I've been in Los Angeles for the last few weeks performing at the L.A. County Fair, and then I'm going to head back to Berlin, which is my home base right now, and I'm going to see my husband's show premiere at the Friedrichstadt Palace, which is exciting. Then, mid-October, I'm going to go to New York City for about two and a half months, and I'm going to perform with the Radio City Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall, uh, but not as a dancer. I'm going to be an aerialist doing hottest work up above them. What is an aerialist, and what are you doing? I grew up as a dancer originally, and I feel like I've really pulled a lot of my dance training into what I do now. So as an aerialist, I primarily work on Silks, hammock, poop, rope, and then for this particular job, I'm actually doing harness work. So if you've ever seen a show, a live show, maybe like Peter Pan or something where someone's in a harness and they have those very thin, almost invisible wires coming out from their hips and they're doing flips and rotations and dancing in the air, that's what I'm about to do for this job at Radio City Music Hall. What I've been doing at the LA County Fair, I've actually been doing solos with Silks, hammock, and hoop and a little bit of flying trapeze. So totally different job. Everything, you know, every job is so different. I'm really excited to go back to New York. It's been a few years since I worked there, so I'm really excited. New York City Christmas time, you're on with the Rockettes. I mean, that's pretty yeah. iconic. Has that been a dream of yours? When I performed back in 2015 there, it was probably one of my most favorite jobs. Mm. The, the theater is just so huge and epic and beautiful, and the Rockettes are so well-known. And just New York City to me is so magical. Like even in the snow, I did not grow up in snow or anything like that. Last time I, I was lugging my rolling suitcase down the street in the snow just to do laundry, which is so not at all like my California upbringing, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, actually when I was 13 and just a dancer at that time, I went to a national dance competition in New York City and the studio owners, Leanne and Jerry, they brought me to Radio City Music Hall. We did a tour. 
we met a Rockette, and I remember thinking, oh, I don't know, just what a huge deal it was mm -hmm. just to be in that theater and, and to meet a Rockette. So all these years later, I would have never guessed that I would actually be performing there and flying above the dancers. It's really thrilling for me, and I still get excited. I've been an aerialist for many years, but I still get excited about stuff like this. No kidding. And how what, that's not a career path your school counselor tells you. <laughs> you can be an air. So how in the world did did right. you get into aerialists and then become so successful? You're now performing with the Rockettes. I grew up dancing in my local dance studio called Cruiser Academy. That was in the Bay Area near San Francisco. And then for college, I went to Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles, and I was a dance major there. And I really loved the training I had there and also just being in Los Angeles, being exposed to the industry, you know, having my, some of my first dance jobs be there was awesome. And it's funny, though, because I went to college and learned, I mean, it was ballet, jazz, tap, but it was also mm. a very heavy modern program. So it was very, you know, very artistic, very high art. And my first dance job out of college was to be a showgirl <laughs> <laughs> in Don Arden's Jubilee in Las Vegas, which unfortunately the show closed last year. It was around for almost 30 years, I believe. Wow. But yeah, I was one of the dancers. I was actually, they have different lines. They have the the bluebells and the tall bluebells. They have the, the shorter showgirls and the taller showgirls. And I'm 5'8", but I was actually the shortest of the tall showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> and we wore original Bob Mackie costumes in the finale, just ostrich feathers and rhinestones. And so I, it's, yeah, it's just funny to learn so, such like high art dance. And then I went to go be a showgirl, but I loved it. I yeah. mean, I just like, I just like being an entertainer. And there's some jobs that fulfill you artistically and there are other jobs that fulfill your bank account you know to really survive as a performer you I think you have to be flexible mm. and do all kinds of different things after I did Vegas I also did a show a showgirl show in Oregon for a little bit which was funny it was a tiny like three dancer show at a lounge casino in Canyonville Oregon then I did this like sort of jazz burlesque show on the Queen Mary which I don't know if you know but it's the Queen Mary's in Long Beach and it's always in port. It's a cruise ship, but it doesn't go out. It's I've been on the ship. Like, mm -hmm. It's like the famous like haunted Queen Mary. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I was in a show there for like a year. And in the midst of all that, I, I was a big fan of Terry Beeman, who was a, a contemporary and jazz dance choreographer who started utilizing aerial arts into his shows. My good friend Alyssa and I, we would always see all of his shows he had shows called awakening and bound and he had a show in early 2007 called the closing it had the most aerial acts that i had seen in any of his performances little did i know i was actually watching my future instructors and friends on stage wow yeah from what i watched like tanya holt and maximiliano torandel doing a silk duet with clown noses and I saw Valentina on trapeze, and I saw, you know, dancers, Brenda, and just other people. And there was an ad in the back of the program for a place called Hollywood Aerial Arts. It was a school that offered classes. I didn't know you could learn, so I went basically the next day. Hmm. And Tanya Holt was my first teacher. Right away, I just committed to taking classes probably, probably three times a week, very consistently for the next six years. 
Wow. I just got very dedicated very quickly. After about a year, I think the studio owners kind of saw that I was really into it <laughs> and I liked being there. So mm-hmm. they offered that I could work behind the front desk in exchange for classes. I would take class and then I would stay and like daisy chain all of the silks. Eventually, I would help warm up classes. Eventually, down the road, I would sub classes and then I would also do gigs with them. So all of my first like teaching and performing aerial experiences were all with Hollywood Aerial Arts. Fortunately, they don't exist anymore. Still, everyone is still working in the industry and performing and putting on shows. But, but that's sort of, that's a long answer, but it's sort of how I got into aerial. So it's almost more of an apprentice model. She did the degree thing with like the classic ballet and the other kind of older mm-hmm. forms of dance, but this newer thing called aerial art, it wasn't as well established. So almost apprenticeship is how you kind of learned. Aerial arts has been around for quite a while. I mean, if you look in all of these sort of historic circus books and whatnot, you see old pictures of aerialists on um, Spanish web or on trapeze. So it's been around. It just hasn't been as accessible until, I would say, the last 10 years or so. Even when I started taking class, I started taking class about 11 years ago in aerial arts. I was taking silk, hammock, hoop. Even then, we were one of the only studios in Los Angeles. I remember it feeling very exciting, like, oh, it's this thing that not very many people do or know about, and we're all sort of learning this together. And it was really exciting. And then slowly over the years, it kind of just caught like wildfire, and all these studios just started popping up. And then I noticed they were popping up all over the country. So now every city I visit in the U.S. and a lot of places that I visit outside of the U.S., there's almost always an aerial studio, which is great for me because now I, I end up traveling so much. And basically, even if I'm traveling for personal things, like if I'm visiting my husband while he's on tour or going to a friend's wedding in Hawaii or wherever, it's like I can always manage to teach workshops. And it pays for the trip, and then I make some extra money. And it, it helps my lifestyle of moving around a lot, visiting a lot of different places. So I can always work. It feels really good to me. For those of us who still, like you're saying, aerial art is taking off where it's growing and a lot of people are aware of it. But for someone who doesn't really grasp, like you're saying, the fact that this is now worldwide, how many countries have you been to and kind of what are some of your experiences just traveling overseas? Again, all kind of like you're saying, aerial art is helping you do this. I was originally located, uh, I grew up in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And then I was in Los Angeles for 10 years. Both of those cities have had aerial arts for quite some time. And then I did live in Vegas, which at the time there was aerial, but I don't think there was any aerial school the first Mm. time I lived there. But now, for example, I've taught a couple of times in Ecuador. Hmm. There are studios out in Ecuador, I would have never guessed. I've had a wonderful time teaching there. I've also taught in Vienna, Austria, three times now at Aerial Silks Vienna. And I've also taught in the Tyrolean Alps in in (laughs) Austria, where I've also taught in Hawaii. I've taught all over uh, the continental U.S. And performance-wise, I've also performed internationally in the Dominican Republic, in Panama, in France. um, I taught in Beijing. About a month ago, that was amazing. That was one of my most favorite teaching trips. Yeah, what's cool is that I kind of sit back and kind of wait to see who reaches out to me because I'm really open to traveling. And now that I'm sort of based in Europe, I'm really open to traveling around Europe more. Mm. But yeah, in Berlin, 
it's pretty cool because there's a studio out there called Flare Studios, and they just opened up this year, which, right before I moved out, which was perfect timing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there were other aerial studios, but I feel like Flare is, I don't know, they're very established. I really like the way that they've sort of set up their space. Mm-hmm. What's cool is that in having conversations with the owners, I realized that myself and one of the owners grew up in the same tiny town in Northern California and actually went to the same grade school of like 200 kids. What? (laughs) (laughs) And we were there at the same time, just a few years apart, completely bizarre coincidence. And now we're both living in Berlin as aerialists. Isn't that funny? It's just so funny. Like you think, I mean, the world is so huge and being an aerialist, being in the circus community it feels big, but it also feels small. I just feel like I always end up connecting with new people. And especially my husband and I have been together six years. And he was an acrobat and trampolinist when I met him. And now, because of me, he also does aerial arts. And our whole world completely meshed so well together. Like all of our friends and community. And we also help each other out. It's nice being with someone who can just I could run, we could run things by each other. Like, oh, how do you think this looks? Or just, do you think this email sounds okay? You know, or whatever. Like, we're very much in the same world. And it's really fun for us. That's awesome. Is that part of, like you're saying you went to Hawaii, is that part of, like, that same, like, group of friends you have? I have a group of friends. There are seven of us. We call ourselves the Worldwide Aerial Tribe. I don't know if this is supposed to be a secret or not, but I'll just (laughs) say it. But yeah, we've been like really good at just staying in touch through text message groups. And also we have an online, we have a platform that we use called Marco Polo, an app. It's not social media. It's a messaging app, but you only message through videos. And it's so fun because we're not, we're almost never all in the same place at the same time. Like right now, two of the girls are in Tokyo, and we're getting messages from them. And I was recently messaging them in Vienna and in Berlin, and now I'm in Los Angeles, and then I'm going to go to Vegas, and it's really fun. Again, I it's nice having a community where people understand your lifestyle and your career and what you're doing because. I mean, everyone else, all of my other friends and family who aren't into this are totally supportive and think that what I'm doing is really cool. But, you know, it's it's different when someone actually really understands what you're doing and trying to accomplish. Because to an outsider, I could see how it could be like, well, how could you do that? You don't even know what your next job is. You don't even know where your next paycheck is coming from. And that's sort of the lifestyle as a, as a freelance artist. It's not the same for, there are a lot of artists that, commit to a show and that's the show that they do for many years but we all are are freelance artists so it's every day is different and uh, we're always moving around and traveling it's really cool what i'm thinking of is i hear like you know the veterans from like fighting the wars it's that bond they have in war it's like no one else gets the experiences they went through and it's like it's just it bonds them together and it kind of sounds like you guys have like this shared love or this common personality trait where it's like so how would you describe that to like, what is it you see about yourselves? Like, oh, I bet she's an aerialist. Or it's like, oh, she's part of my tribe. What is it? That <laughs> just, right. What is, like, if you're just walking down the street, yeah. what would kind of set them apart? Or it's like, what are kind of the things kind of unique to kind of your group of people where it's like you guys get each other? 
Well, definitely, I wouldn't. I wouldn't compare what we do to, to people in war. But I understand what you're saying. I meant the bot. Yes. <laughs> no, yes. I know. Okay. <laughs> no, I know. I'm like hey, what we do is not that important. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But we we I I kid. But of course, I think that being an entertainer brings joy to people, and I do think that is important. I it is funny because you you can usually kind of tell because we all also came from dance. Most of us in my group of friends. And so you can always kind of tell when someone comes from dance or aerial art. So it's just a certain way one tends to hold themselves. Actually, here's a, a really easy way you can tell. If you're at a club or an event and you see one person that is dressed in like sweats and has a crazy side ponytail and looks kind of a mess and is is rolling a rolling suitcase behind them, they're probably a performer. <laughs> Like, you'll be in the middle of a club, everyone's dressed up, and you just see that one person with a rolling suitcase. You're like, okay, they're here, and their costumes are in that suitcase, and they haven't done their makeup or hair yet. <laughs> um, so that's something I've noticed. Also, I mean, I get all kinds of comments about my arms, like just from total strangers out, mm. out and about. People will always try to guess what I do. People have tried to... <laughs> guess that I'm like a bodybuilder or a swimmer or a rower there was this guy I was I was just hanging out at a bar once and this guy came up to me and he was like I've been looking at your back and arms for a while now and I'm like creepy but he said um I've decided that you're either a swimmer a rower a bodybuilder or a man oh so there's that. It's fine. I wasn't offended. It's fine. Yeah. But I, I think it's great for women to do things that are like building up their upper bodies and feeling really strong because dance strengthens our legs and our core a lot. And I, I like that with aerial arts, we're kind of balancing out our bodies and getting stronger in our arms. And it's funny how there are just basic things that I think we used to train like kids to do more maybe many years ago like climbing a rope for example i think i feel like that was a thing that you see in gym class mm. in old movies and i feel like they don't really do that anymore i don't know if it's a danger thing but i feel like the average person doesn't even really know how to climb a rope and i've seen this like i've been on hikes and stuff before where maybe you get to a certain part you have to you have to climb a rope and then get to the next section and for any of the aerials, it's so easy because you know how to use your feet. You know how mm. to not use too much of your upper body strength because, you you know, you know how to conserve your energy. And then you see people doing, like, no leg climbs or they're sort of doing a weird thing with their feet to try to wrap. And I think it's cool for everyone to kind of hang from a, a trapeze bar by their knees, just like, just like the monkey bars as a kid. People should... Uh, play a little more I think it's it's a really cool recreational thing like you can get into it without going the, down the professional route I, I have taught so many people from so many different occupations scientists there's a woman who I know who I teach who's a translator for the UN all kinds of jobs and but they just have a love and passion for aerial arts and so they they just love to take class and get stronger and learn new skills it's really i don't know it makes you feel really good about yourself when you accomplish a new skill you get to a new level of your training and new level of strength and yeah just i've also seen it just build confidence in a lot of people like maybe if you're shy or you're just not really feeling like really good about your body i think um i think it helps a lot of people
Yeah, and that's cool, like you're saying, that it's growing and it's for everyone. And um, it sounds like you very much, you just enjoy like sharing this because you love it and you view it as like supportive mm -hmm. of others. Or what is it that speaks to you about, like, I wish more people, more women would have upper body strength and learn how to climb ropes. Like, what is it about that that means so much to you? So on a performance side, I love sharing what I do by performing just because it's cool just to see what the human body can do, what we can accomplish. And I think people also get kind of got used to like, oh, men in circus do all the strong stuff. You always, mm. you know, hear the typical like strong man move. But then women, you'd always kind of think, oh, they, they're flexible or they just do the pretty stuff. And, and that's great, too. But I, I really like to be an example of someone who can be very strong and very feminine and mm. have a lot of artistic flow in, in my movement, you know? So you don't have to be just one thing. You can be all of it. I mean, I'm focusing a little bit on women here because I'm a woman and most sure. of the people I teach are, are women, but I, I totally teach men too. It's fun for me when I have male students because they can usually get certain things a little quicker mm. if, uh, if it requires just a little more brute upper body strength but then other things are harder for them like some of the flexibility stuff is harder so every every body is different and also just proportions like how tall you are or if, if you have a longer torso or longer legs like everything can kind of like help or hurt everyone can learn a, a, a certain amount of this and there's even a woman that a lot of us in the aerial community know and she she has no legs and she's mm. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's very, I mean, very famous now. She's an aerialist, so she's super badass and has, uh, like, really strong arms. And, yeah, what she does is incredible. So it's more available to people than I think people realize. And, and you don't have to learn it. You could just enjoy it as an audience member. It's, it's whatever way you want to enjoy it. I think it's really out there for people to love and appreciate. What does speak to you about being an aerialist? Like, what do you really enjoy about doing it? For me, there's something really gratifying about being able to express myself and also to gain a trust of myself with my body. Go to the top of the silk, for example, and you wrap for a big drop and learning how to trust that you know what you're doing and you're wrapping correctly and you have the strength to accomplish it and you can do it in such a way that people enjoy watching it. And I also just, I get really snickety about like my own movement and technique and style so I film things over and over in my training and I pick them apart and I always trying to fix them and make them better so it's kind of it's like good for my body and it's good for my brain and it's just a constant challenge I think sometimes when people get too good at something too fast they get bored and then they almost don't stick to it so aerial arts is something for me that was a challenge mm. in the beginning, and it's still a challenge. Like, there's still things I can't do, or there's still things that I'm working on, or there's still things that I'm trying to get better, so it feels kind of like this never-ending journey. Yeah, like, not everyone can do everything. I mean, you have to really commit and work really hard to get to the level where you can perform it. But yeah, in terms of, like, beginner students, Absolutely. I think it's, it's great to like try it out, to develop a love and passion for it, and just to kind of gain, gain strength and perspective and just an awareness of your body, too. I think growing up as a dancer, I grew up very aware of my body and how mm -hmm. to learn with it. 
And it kind of makes me sad. A lot of people aren't very connected to their bodies. Maybe mm. they've only really been involved in very like left-brained activities. I mean, there's left-brain elements to this as well, but using your creative side, using your physicality, I think it's really important just as a culture that we mm. learn to use our bodies more. I think in general, we're, we'd be happier, healthier people. Yeah, that form of expression. And help help me get that picture of when you're saying you're doing a drop, like how far up are you and are there ever times when there's no nets underneath you? Oh, okay. So that's a good question. So there are pretty much never nets beneath us unless we're doing high-flying trapeze because a net can only be effective if it's, I think, eight, eight feet off the floor, maybe even mm. higher. And a net, I mean, there's so much that goes into even just setting up a net mm-hmm. that it's not even an option for the majority of aerial work. You're, you're just not going to see it unless it's high-flying trapeze. So then the, a step down from a net would be a mat. And in training, you should always have a mat beneath you, like a big, thick, like six to eight inch mm-hmm. uh, foam mat. I always recommend that. And I, no matter what level you get to, if there's a mat available, you should train over it, in my opinion. Uh, when it comes to performance, you often, you could have a mat, but usually people don't use a mat unless they're doing release moves. So, for example, my husband does cord release or aerial, aerial rope, and he'll do moves where he sort of flings his body up, so he's parallel to the floor, and he'll do a full twist of his body and then catch the rope again, like he lifts his body, twists, lets go of the rope, and then recatches. Stuff like that, you should always have a mat. Mm -hmm. So but then all these other skills, you generally don't have a mat if you're performing. And it could be be any height. I mean, when I performed at Cirque de la Mer in San Diego, we were actually out over the bay Mm. in San Diego, like in the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) And which is crazy to me. And we were, I think, the top of our points were maybe 40 feet up. So we were doing quadruple stars, which I know doesn't mean anything to you, but it's basically if, you're, if your body starts out in an X position and you're rotating down the silk uh, four times, Dang. that would be a quadruple star. Mm-hmm. But that job was funny because you would, we would actually like climb down these rocks and get in the bay <laughs> and swim out. And it's not a controlled setting. Like, I see lions have come into the stage area. I've seen jellyfish, and the, I actually saw baby stingrays a couple times. Like, <laughs> na- we're in nature, and we would swim out to about ten feet from shore, and then this ball would be lowered all the way down to the water from a crane, mm-hmm. and there would be a hand loop and a foot loop, and we would get in and we'd start spinning in the water, and then we'd be lifted forty feet up. And then we would pull a little release valve, and the silk would tumble out. So we would be soaking wet, but then the silk would start dry, and then we would transfer over, and then we would start the wrap for our first drop. So that's sort of an example where we were very high, but we were over water, so it felt safer. But we were also over stingrays, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. No, nothing ever happened. Everything was fine. It, it was great. I did three... It was a summer job. I did three summers of that show. I don't think they have that specific show anymore. Now it's changed to Cirque Electrique, I believe. That was a cool experience, and that's the show where I actually met my husband, uh, Christian, uh-huh. back, in uh-huh. 2000, back in 2012. I always liked to jokingly call that Survivor Silks because 
you know, <laughs> you just never know. I swam out once and there's a sea lion and we had to put the show on, on hold because they're not like, they're kind of like dogs. Like the, the sea lions can be really friendly or they can be aggressive. You just don't know. So you just kind of leave them alone. <laughs> That's got to be pretty exhilarating, or I don't know, what what does that feel like to be performing over the ocean? I mean, you, you obviously made a good impression on your future husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a trampolinist at the time, and I was a silks aerialist, and we would watch each other train from a distance. And mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, it is exhilarating. At a certain point, once you're doing it, like, four or five times a day, mm-hmm. <laughs> it could lose a little bit of its magic sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I... In general, no matter what job I've done, I've always tried to remind myself what I'm doing, where I am, how awesome what I'm doing is. Not that there's anything wrong with desk jobs at all, but like mm-hmm. I always remind myself, I'm like, okay, I could be, you know, sitting at a desk or I could be doing this, but I'm choosing to do this thing. And sometimes it's really hard, sometimes it's really exhausting, sometimes it's frustrating. But I'm choosing this for a reason. And, you know, there are pros and cons to any profession you choose. But this is what I choose. And I'm going to choose to enjoy it and appreciate it. And if I think that's also why I kind of stick to freelance work. Because I notice a lot of people, when they're in one show for too long, I feel like a lot of people get kind of jaded. And Mm. they kind of forget how special what they do is. Like when I did Jubilee, which was not aerial, but it was dance, it was was six days a week it was 12 shows a week only one day off it was exhausting I mean we were just like climbing up and down stairs backstage all the time our our costumes were so large they would be in all different parts of the theater it's like there was just so I I feel like I I burned so many more calories backstage than I did on stage because I was just running around trying to get my next costume on but I would have days where I was like oh why am I here and but then I would like walk by the poster and I would remember mm. I was like this show's been around 25 years and I I'm a part of it and I'm a part of Vegas history and mm. you know these are just things you remind yourself of or, or like the San Diego it's like okay I get to perform over the freaking ocean this is awesome I'm tired but this is awesome <laughs> and same with like right now like I'm doing the fair it's, it's a lot of work but I really enjoy it I kind of like a little bit of the aerial boot camp feel mm. but mostly these have all been contracts that I've been talking about like Mm. ongoing shows but you know I've also done a lot of one-offs where you you just show up and you you do one day of work and that those are always exciting it's always a different kind of event correct me if I'm I'm wrong but I think some of your acts or work like you've been in like a Super Bowl ad and as a freelancer how do you go about designing elements for these I'm over an ocean now I'm in this environment how do you know what to design or do Yes, I've done like a few sort of industry jobs as well. So I think it was back in 2011. It was a Super Bowl ad featuring the cast of Glee, and it was for Chevy. And it was a big commercial. Usually commercials shoot in one day. This was a three-day shoot. Hmm. There were a few of us silks aerialists, and there were contortionists and dancers and b-boys. There was all kinds of stuff going on. And I remember I was set up to do a drop it was like a triple count catch over this Chevrolet car over and over I probably did it 20 times mm. and each time they kept saying like could you land a little closer to the car I'm like <laughs> I don't think you want me to land closer to the car <laughs> don't you want me to land like a safe distance from the car so for that I wasn't like 
even the drop wasn't my choice. Like that was mm. uh, like a choreographer's choice or the woman in our group who was sort of in charge, like she chose that. So they, it, it's kind of their call. Like they play, they chose to place me over that particular car and they put people in different places. So, so that was not a design thing for me. Like I had nothing to do with the choreography. I was just sort of there just to be told what to do. See, like another example, I did a Disney's, TV show called Shake It Up and there were four of us doing a Silks group number and we had a choreographer in the group who created it and then we learned it and but it was great because it was a style that because it was our you know it was my former instructor choreographing it so I it was very comfortable choreography for me so that was sort of a, a finished product that we performed for the show for Kids Choice Awards that was a few years ago I did Spanish Web which that's if you've ever seen a rope where there's a hand loop on the top and you put your hand in the loop and then you reach out and hold the rope with your free hand and then someone is below spinning you really fast. I don't know if you can picture this or if you've seen this before. The idea is that you're being spun so fast that your body sort of lifts parallel to the floor okay. and then you mm -hmm. can let go of the free arm and you're only holding on to the hand with the loop and then you do all these positions and stuff. So we did that for, for Kids' Choice. That was something we actually, there was a choreographer, but the choreographer didn't really know anything mm. about aerial arts. So that was sort of us as a team of aerialists sort of working together to figure out what we were comfortable with, what we could do. I think it turned out really well, but I just remember like, that was another one. We had days of rehearsal ahead of time mm. and my wrist, my wrist almost got numb. Like we did it so much. Wow. I think I'd even switch back and forth a bit. And then even when it came down to the sh the night of, hmm. of the Kids' Choice Awards, we were supposed to be, we were the opening number, so we had to put our hand in the loop and put our foot in a foot loop and be lifted up with our arm over our head like a few minutes before the show even started. I think they hmm. tried to, to do it as close to start time as possible, but it's like, so our arm's over our head and we're way up. I mean, we're... <laughs> really high and I don't even know how high we are we're really high and and then the opening number starts and then we're lowered down so it was like a surprise mm -hmm. then we do eight counts of eight of Spanish web then we go back up uh -huh. we still have our arms stuck over our head because we're not allowed to come out of the hand loop mm -hmm. for safety reasons mm -hmm. and then we are lowered down again and do another eight counts of eight and then we come down and we're done and uh, it was great. It was really exhilarating. But I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sick of having my arm over my head. <laughs> like, oh my thank God for this hand loop. <laughs> yeah, oh, my goodness. And the physicality that that requires is pretty evident. Like, that's just, oh, that's all. So how much training do you think you are putting in a week? And how demanding is, is it on your body? I do aerial arts in some capacity almost every day. Mm. So whether I'm training or I'm performing or I'm teaching someone, it's usually a part of my day in some way, shape, or form every day. And it's not always a conscious choice. Sometimes it's just how my schedule goes. When I'm in Berlin, see, I'm not actually working in Berlin right now. A lot of my, I'm, I'm living there as my home base, but a lot of my work is traveling. So when I'm home in Berlin, that's sort of like my quote unquote downtime, but my downtime also involves me going to the gym every day. Mm. <laughs> but I, it's because I enjoy it. I love it. And it's, you know, it makes me feel good. For there, I'll probably train Monday through Friday. I'll also end up taking some pole classes sometimes just to mix it up. I also go hiking. Like, I just, I really um, try to mix up my workouts 
as much as possible for muscle confusion and just to keep myself healthy. And yeah, basically I'll have days here and there where I don't do any aerial, but it's... But on average, you're thinking, what, two hours a day, three hours a day? Oh, I mean, yeah, probably, probably two or three hours a day of training. I really broke it down. And then right now performing, I'm doing five solos a day at the fair, which is a lot of workout, which is great. And and then doing the flying trapeze, like I don't usually do flying trapeze. So me doing it for this particular contract at the moment, Mm. it's kind of good for me too, because it's just another skill I'm working on, another way that I'm working my muscles. All in all, I'm feeling really good. I'm, I'm quite lucky that I've managed to make it this long and my body is actually feeling kind of great. That's I mean, I just take really good care of it and mm-hmm. things start to hurt, I back off. Like I, I try to really mix up my training so I'm not doing the same thing over and over and over. The work you're doing as a freelancer, your body in one sense is your livelihood and that's got to be scary. So how does that work? And then also, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts. Like, what do you think as this independent freelancer, what skill sets and mindsets and just what do you think you see of the world that you're like, ah, I wish people working a nine to five could also incorporate some version of this in their life? Being a freelancer, you have to be very flexible. (laughs) And I don't mean literally. I mean just Mm -hmm. a flexible, malleable person and personality things change all the time. Your schedule changes. A job gets canceled. A new job comes up. Like I'll get job offers all the time where it's like, are you available tomorrow? Are you available today? Mm. If you really want to survive in this industry, I think part of it is trusting yourself to say yes when you and, and knowing that you can do it. It's like, yeah, okay, I could put that act together today. Absolutely, I can do that. So mm-hmm. if I was asked to do something that's not in my wheelhouse, that's, that's a different thing. I've definitely, like, I'm, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I've definitely choreographed things in my head on the way to a job because <laughs> it was a last-minute job, and it works out just fine. They don't know the difference. That's awesome. I have no idea. As long as you, I think being a performer in general, mm. and, and this is maybe something that would apply to other industries, people say, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. You just have to carry an air of confidence and calm even if inside you're like what the fuck am i doing (laughs) what did i just get myself into and i actually had a conversation with some friends about that recently because we all teach as well and sometimes students have little freakouts or they you Mm. know maybe i don't know like maybe a move doesn't go the way they want it to or they feel like oh that kind of hurts my body and I, I think just staying calm and just sort of just dealing with things as they come. Yeah, and, and just going with the flow. Now, again, it's a little different for people that do these ongoing shows. Mm-hmm. I, I've actually noticed more injury in people that do ongoing shows, like mm. people that do the same show for years because they're doing the exact same thing every night and they can't really just change it. Mm. That's the thing because there's all, usually there's a lot of automation and there's a lot of work where they have to be so in line with what is expected of them or else they could completely throw off some cues and stuff like that. Being an ongoing show is sometimes worse for your body because you're just you're just doing the same thing over and over and over. Maybe in other jobs, maybe that's a thing as well. Like if something's not working for you, you have to mix it up a little bit if you can. Doing the same thing over and over is not really good for your brain or your body. 
mentally that's true as well just repetitive the same thing day after day like that's sure is not sparking any new thoughts or creativity in the corporate you know nine to five world it's like stability you know forecasting you got to forecast and you got to have contracts everything has to be dependable and i'm sure there's yeah. that in some but like you're saying in your world it's like it's almost two different modes of operating like you're saying flexibility being able to be like this was just thrown at me but i'm just gonna pretend to have it all together and figure it out on the fly it's mm -hmm. yeah independence for you is being able to pick which job even if you don't know if you will have a job what would be so like depressing or like like oh this just wouldn't be fun being a nine to five for you again there's such pros and cons to both lifestyles the you know having because i definitely have friends where they need that everyday job that they know they can rely on i mean i guess you can't really rely on anything anything can happen at any time correct even even in stable jobs but overall, I, I definitely have friends that really prefer that stability. With my husband and I, it's kind of a nice balance because he prefers contracts where mm. he's in a show for maybe a year, two years, three years. And so it's kind of good for us because he can be in that stable, ongoing show. And then I can have the flexibility. So, for example, he was touring with Cirque du Soleil for the last two and a half years prior to this job in Berlin. Mm -hmm. And every week, it was an arena tour, so every week they were in a new city. Mm. So, But because I had the flexibility, I could choose to visit him anywhere I wanted to. And I, again, kind of like what I was saying earlier, any city I would go visit him, I would almost always find an aerial studio and I would end up teaching mm. private lessons or workshops. So it's like he would go to work and then I would go work at the studio in town and then he would get up and then I would be able to spend time with him in a new place and explore a new area. The last city I actually visited him in was Christchurch, New Zealand, which mm. was amazing. I went there with nothing scheduled in terms of teaching and I ended right. up teaching a whole bunch. Like I basically just showed up uh -huh. to a couple of the studios and just sort of start like went to the open gym and then started talking to people and then people started asking for private lessons <laughs> and I ended up subbing a workshop so it kind of works out for me and it definitely there are definitely slow times in in terms of freelance there are definitely lulls there are definitely like dead times in my schedule and it you do have to remind yourself that this is the valley, the mountain is coming, there's an ebb and flow to freelance work and it's not always going to come on the timing that you want. Mm -hmm. Or you'll have a bunch of dead weeks and then suddenly you get three job offers but they're all on the same day so you have to mm -hmm. turn them, two of them down. There could be a lot of pressure where maybe you have something personal scheduled for yourself but then a job offer comes mm -hmm. up but you don't want to turn it down because if you turn it down they may not call you for the next one and it's a lot. I mean, it's actually a lot in terms of dealing with different companies and people and personalities and travel. But again, it's kind of encouraged me to just be a really flexible person and just kind of making things work. Like I'm, I'm great at booking flights and rebooking <laughs> flights and figuring out places to stay. Like I'm really, like I, I really should be a travel agent. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. It's probably not. And Southwest is in terms of, travel within the U.S. Southwest mm -hmm. is the best because I can cancel and rebook and not be penalized for it. You can cancel like 10 minutes before your flight and not lose your funds. It's amazing. That's my Southwest ad for the day. They're not sponsoring me, but. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a fellow Southwest flyer when I can. So yeah, I have, I have them as well. Yeah. I have the credit card and everything. <laughs> I get so many points. It's kind of ridiculous. 
I'm trying to understand, is this freedom something that really speaks to you, like you like to be free and independent? Yeah, just in terms of scheduling, it is nice to have that. I think if I were in the same show for too long, I think I would, I could be wrong, but I think I'd be kind of depressed, maybe. Mm. Like if I felt like I had no, because when you're in a big show, you're a small cog in a big machine. I think if I had some artistic freedom, Let's say I was in a big show, but maybe I had a solo and I had some artistic freedom there. Mm -hmm. I I used to be a swing at Fantasy, the Fantasy show at Luxor. And I would do a silk solo and a short pole solo. And I really liked that because the silk solo, it was just a dead hung silk, which which means that the silk was not lifted up and down. It was just in one place the whole time. So I could change what I did every night if I wanted to. So that something like that is really fulfilling and fun. But if I was just a, a, a tiny piece in a big show and mm-hmm. I had to do the same things every night, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would also depend on the people in the show. Because people, I've had people ask me before, like, what's your dream job? Mm. And, I, and there's no way you would know because it's really not the show. It's the people you're working with. At in the end of the day, I mean, that's what's going to make or break your time in a show. Are you working with the same people over and over again, or is it every every new job is a new person? Every new job is new people. I mean, there are definitely some people that I've worked with more than others, sure. and there are some people that I prefer to work with or companies I prefer to work with, but especially in a long-term show, like, you have no idea who you'll end up with or who, mm. who you'll be partnered with, or kind of to come back to what I was saying before, I think... In terms of my partnership with my husband, I think it's great that he has like the consistent job because that adds stability to our lives. And then I sort of have the flexibility. I think it's a good balance. It also allowed us to buy our house in Vegas last year because he Mm. had that stable job where he could actually show like via paperwork that he has. For example, just buying a house, the way it's set up, it makes it really hard for, for freelancers, I think, to buy mm. houses. It's hard to prove income and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I think it's good for us for us to have that balance and for me to have a little bit of that freedom. So it's kind of like the, the, the major, like the governments of the world and then the banking, the large corporate things, they all favor the known stable yeah. job. Like if you need a visa to get into a country, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot harder being an independent contractor. Yeah, actually, and, and in terms of going relocating to Berlin, I was really lucky because Christian was offered this job at the Friedrichstadt Plus, and we just asked, and we would we had no idea what they would say, but you know, because I wasn't in the show, mm. but he said, "Hey, is there any way we can get my wife a work visa because she's moving out here with me?" And they totally did it for me, which was wow. amazing because mm-hmm. I'm not employed by them. <laughs> So now I, can, I have like a page in my passport and I can legally work around the EU and I can stay longer than 90 days hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But that was, I, that was kind of lucky. If I had to try to get a work visa as a freelance artist on my own, there, oh my God, it would have taken so, it would have been really hard, especially with the language barrier. It, yeah. So I'm really lucky I was able to get that. That's awesome. And then so for your world, probably social media and technology, is, that is kind of where you thrive in. Is that a lot of how you're meeting people and handling your work? Yes. For teaching especially, almost all of my teaching work is because of Instagram and mm. a little bit from, from YouTube as well. 
back in, I think it was 2013. I It was before I really got into social media, but I had uploaded just some videos on YouTube just to submit for performing jobs. I was at a studio in Oakland, California, and this woman named Tracy came up to me and she said, are you Sarah Romanowski? I said, yes, but why would you know that? That's weird. And she said, oh, no, I've seen you on YouTube. We've all seen you on YouTube. I'm like, hmm. my YouTube? You, you've you watched my YouTube <laughs> channel, but why? And and so then I checked, and there was one video that had, like, way more hits than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Now there's so much Ariel online, but I think I must have uploaded that at a time where they're just, it was just before the explosion. Mm. And to me, it's like not even my best work. Like Mm -hmm. there's a, I mess up a couple times in it, but (laughs) for whatever reason, people really like it. That's when I realized, I was like, oh, people are actually paying attention and using social media. You know, they're really paying attention to it. So maybe I should pay more attention to what I'm putting out there. Mm. So then I decided, okay, well maybe I should take this Instagram thing a little more seriously. Cause I thought, Instagram was just a thing where you, you like used filters mm-hmm. and got photos that looked like they're from the 70s. Like I didn't really understand what it was all about. Now it's completely evolved. They have Instagram has so much stuff going on on their platform. They have IGTV, which is supposed to be more similar to YouTube, and they have the stories, kind of like Snapchat, and now videos can be a minute long. I upload on Instagram very regularly. It's actually sort of a motivating factor because I meet so many people through Instagram. I've gotten to travel the world because of Instagram. Mm. So it's a huge motivator for me to really perfect a new trick so that I can post it because I'm also really picky about what I post. I don't want to put something out there and have a lot of people see it and have it be like, eh. So it it actually kind of makes me train a little harder, (laughs) interestingly enough, Mm. because I have to get like that perfect video. I know it sounds kind of vain, but what we do is the physical visual skill. So I'll just film things over and over until I I like how it looks. You can use all the hashtags and, and then other pages will repost you. I mean, it's a whole world. I don't commit to it to the level that some people I know do, but I like it. I enjoy it. It's kind of cool seeing what other people do. But that being said, on my news feed, I'm sort of finding myself following more and more cat videos and less circus. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there's like, sometimes I'm like, there's a little too much circus in my life. I think I need more animal videos. (laughs) So my explore page, if you hit explore, all of the recommended videos are like kittens and puppies. (laughs) So like maybe I should have something else. That's fun. So what is your Instagram or how can people find you on social media? My handle, I guess they would say, is at LV Next episode, Sarah Rav will share her experience dealing with an eating disorder having over 2 million followers, and going to medical school.